Welcome to the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. My guest for today's show is Zachary Green. He is a U.S. Marine veteran, a very successful entrepreneur, and the author of the best-selling book, Warrior Entrepreneur. Uh, those of you that know me, listeners that have worked with me in the past, know probably how much I love working with entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur myself. And I believe that the value they bring to this country, the economic vitality they deliver day in and day out is just awesome. So uh, Zachary, was that an okay introduction? Sounds great. I'm flattered. Do I call you Zachary or Zach? Do I call you sir? Uh, Zach, most of the time, Zachary, if I'm in trouble, and if you have to call me sir, then, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> Well, I love the Zachary versus Zach because it's the same thing with Chris and Christopher. So uh, call me Chris unless I get out of line. And so uh, I appreciate you joining me today. So you wrote a book, Warrior Entrepreneur, and it sort of makes sense that you have a military background given the title. But let's go back even earlier before you joined the military. Um, can you talk a little bit about the household you grew up in? What was it like? Was it a poor household? rich? Were you in the city, rural? Can you just talk a little bit about your early years, please? Sure. So I, I was, you know, you don't choose who your parents are. Uh, that is something that God gives you as a gift. And I've been blessed. Two wonderful parents. They divorced at a very young age, but we always stayed in touch, always had holidays together. My mom and stepmom, dad and stepdad are all dear friends. Um, I'd say we lived in a pretty much uh, upper class neighborhood, upper class house. Okay. Um, my father played with the symphony in Cincinnati and my mother was actually a professional ballerina. So I uh, oh. couldn't get a more disconnected childhood from with what my uh, future turned into joining the Marine Corps infantry. I guess so. So you, you joined um, the Marines. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And you became an entrepreneur, I assume, after retiring from the Marine Corps. Is that right? Actually, I became an entrepreneur when I was about six years old. I would steal uh, kitchen items from my parents' house and go door to door selling them to the neighbors and just trying All to right. make a couple bucks. And it was always exciting, fun, you know, always uh, was the top seller of the chocolate candy bars in school or the raffle tickets or whatever. So it's something that, you know, I've always done. And then when I was in the Marine Corps, I had a couple of side hustles going in the Marine Corps where I was making some money on the side. All right. So you were a born entrepreneur. Yes, sir. So in uh, reviewing your book, uh, you built a business from the ground up. Um, can you talk about your journey with that business Things like how long it took for you to finally achieve the type of financial success that I assume you were striving for. Can you talk about that? Sure. So, um, you know, one of the challenges I had growing up and, and thank God I had great family was I had really bad ADHD. I guess you could say I, I still have it. Now, it's funny because in school, it's a learning disability. But when you get out of school, it's called multitasking. And it's this great thing. They're like, oh, what an energetic multitasker. You can do five or six things at a time. Um, for me, there's been two constant themes in my life. Number one, uh, service and um, patriotism. And number two is just creating an environment where I can espouse happiness and experience happiness and give happiness. So I got out of the Marine Corps in 1999. 
Uh, two years later, September 11th happened. I felt really guilty that um, I wasn't continuing to serve and I was letting my brothers and sisters down. So I did the next best thing, which is I joined our, our local volunteer fire department. And okay. um, my full-time job, meanwhile, was at Eli Lilly. I was in brand development. I did marketing. I did sales. I kind of was you know, climbing the corporate ladder. And what I learned there is, and, and I'm sure you can appreciate this a lot in your practice, it doesn't matter how good your product is. It matters how good your marketing, sales, and distribution is. Chris, you could have the greatest formula, the greatest algorithm in the world that can make people millions of dollars and see thousands of percent of returns. But if people don't know about you and they don't know how to get in touch with you and you can't create an easy system to do business with them, you're not going to be very successful. And I noticed that also when I was in the pharmaceutical business. The second thing I learned about, and I'm going to answer your question here in a second. I'm trying to kind of build yeah. the, the building blocks of this here. No, I got you. Keep going. Yeah, is, is you got to solve a problem. Now, when I was at Lilly and one of my uh, drugs that I sold was uh, Prozac. And if I just told you about the chemicals that were in Prozac or how it affects your norepinephrine or serotonin, you wouldn't care. But if I talk about the problem of depression and all the things that happen as a result of that, and then I come in with a solution, which is not the pill, it's the brand, it's what it stands for. That's when great things happen. And in that light, that's how I discovered and kind of fell upon the, the business that I ultimately started with, uh, LumaWare and Foxfire. And that was, I got lost in the fire. Uh, when you go into a structure fire, it's very dark. It's very disorienting. You got 80 pounds of gear on you. And as I'm crawling down the hallway, because you always crawl, you never walk. Because if you walk, you can fall down the stairs or fall through a hole in the floor. If you crawl, your hands are going to touch it first. I find myself going around this hallway. And as I got to the end of the hallway, there's supposed to be a door or a staircase as there is in all hallways. And instead there was just three walls. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a walk-in closet. I'm completely mm -hmm. disoriented, I'm lost. Right. And I looked down at my regulator and I got 20 minutes of air left. All right. In those situations, that dark black smoke, the second you take one breath of it, instant cardiac arrest, almost uh, immediate fatality. So I realized, say, hey, we got a problem here. And when obviously I found my way out, I start talking to my captain and he, he starts making fun of me. And he explains, look, this happens all the time when you go into a fire. If you can't handle this, you're in the wrong job. And I started thinking like, this is not right. Like there's gotta be a better way we can do this. So that was the problem. The solution I came up with was using this glow-in-the-dark material. Think of it as like a glow-in-the-dark on steroids. And I okay. put it in my helmet, on my tools. Just, it was a hobby. Started selling out of the trunk of my car. I made 5,000 bucks in six months. Would literally drive from fire station to fire station. And what I would do is I'd say, hi, my name's Zach. I'm a firefighter from the Cincinnati area. Can we go in the bathroom and turn the lights off together? And if they didn't beat me up, they usually like, oh, this stuff's pretty cool. And what I would do in the bathroom is after I turn the lights off, we talk about disorientation and the fact that we've all been the scenario. And then I pull the glow in the dark stuff out. And I said, now, look, I didn't sell the features and benefits. I sold that solution that we solved. Um, make a long story long. I made, like I said, five grand in about six months, ended up quitting my full-time job at Lilly, went to a really large trade show um, with a bunch of 
about 40,000 firefighters. I sold $100,000 in product in three days. Wow. The problem is I had no money to buy the raw materials. I had no manufacturing capability. I had no way to fill these orders. And everyone's like, you got to stop. And I'm like, no, I'm a Marine. We'll figure this out. We'll make this thing happen. And it was tough. I ended up having to refinance my home, max out my credit cards, uh, took some venture capital equity, but eventually turned it into about a $30 million company over the next couple of years. So impressive. Good. Now, is are you still involved in the company? Uh, yes and no. So I think that's one of the, the, the big lessons is entrepreneurs are usually very, very poor um, small business uh, CEOs. And let me explain that. An entrepreneur starts a company. They're a visionary. They yes. get people excited. But guys like me aren't really good at following up in the details mm -hmm. and the mundane meetings. And what I found was about, you asked how long it took me to make money. Well, the first three months I didn't make money. I lost money. I literally <laughs> was living off of credit cards. The next three years probably was making about the same money I made my first couple of years out of college. And then we almost went bankrupt. Uh, the company uh, had run out of money. Our revenue was incredible. It, was, it always blows my mind how much revenue you can make and how broke you can be at the same time. Cash, uh, because flow, is, cash flow is king, right? It, cash flow is everything because what people don't understand is the time it takes from you to spend money to then recover that money is that cash conversion cycle. And if you have to buy raw materials, you have to have a manufacturer make it, you have to then wait to get paid, that's what kills you. And if you take a big deal, that, that float can be too much. And that's kind of what happened. And so when we realized that we were running out of business and I was probably going to declare bankruptcy in the next week or so, I made a big change. And I, I resigned as CEO. I fired most of my leadership team, brought in a new CEO, said, here, here's the keys to the kingdom. All I want you to do is make sure that we keep the culture the way it is and use me where you think I'm needed. But from that point on, the company exploded and I'm still involved, but very minor, uh, just okay. more around you know, board meetings and, and that big visionary and, and direction area. Very good. And so uh, we're going to talk about the book you wrote. Did you always know you wanted to publish a book? I asked earlier and you explained how you entrepreneurial at a very young age is the idea of writing a book one that was with you a long time or is it something you gravitated to as uh, you had various successes and experiences and then thought about what you wanted to share with the public I was not a very good student and I think English was probably one of my worst classes so I wish some of my teachers could find out that not only have I written a book, but it's an international bestseller now. <laughs> um, no, I had no clue about doing that. But this is the greatest time in the world right now to be an entrepreneur. And I classify being an author as an entrepreneur sector also. You can literally come up with an idea today, write a couple pages together, push a button and have Amazon print and publish that book tomorrow. And within the next 24 hours, you could be selling books. Amazon does a lot of their books print on demand. The sure. software that's out there, the access to get into the gig economy, which is what I did when I was writing my book. I had six different publishers from, not publisher, editors, from content editor to syntax editor to flow editor to you name it. And 
just kept recycling all through these gig economies and people that I could touch in different parts of the world and different areas. And, and that's how I, you know, eventually got it out and up and running. Very good. So your book speaks to entrepreneurs, your core market. Is that a fair statement? Well, it was initially. I think that what I'm finding now being on the road and doing a lot of book tours, I'd say more than half the people are not entrepreneurs. The book is really a lesson in how to use adversity to grow and how to take the warrior principles and apply them to anything. Now, obviously, my frame of reference is entrepreneurship, but I'm finding that within this book, it's it's just as helpful to that mom that's working two jobs, that's just trying to get her kids not get arrested and make it into college as it is for that guy that's burning the midnight hour at Starbucks that's starting his new uh, entrepreneurial business. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Looking at your principles, which we're going to go over a little bit, I could see how somebody that is either young and making their way through school where they could gain a lot from the principles, someone who in corporate America, you know, a fortune 100 type company uh, that they could use these principles to advance their career and help themselves become more successful. So the principles, I think there's teamwork, purpose, confidence, adaptability, tenacity, grit, sacrifice, morals, purpose, and lastly, serenity. So I, I looked at this list, you know, and, 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 and reading the book, and I, uh, Zach, we don't know each other well, but I've been a great consumer for motivational, you know, uh, business books, how to time management, you know, how to win friends and influence people, that whole genre. I, I, so some of these are not surprising to me. Now, your spin on them, the way you articulate your thought process is wonderful. Uh, but many of these I would have expected. If you said, here's the name of the book, what do you think some of the principles are? There's, there's a number of these I would have gotten on my own. Look, Napoleon, right? Napo once Napoleon Hill came out with his book, there's not a whole lot new out there that you can- Yeah, we're, everything is on, on those shoulders, right? Right. Um, but, but a few did jump out at me and uh, were impactful in particular. And, and the first one I wanted to ask you about is adaptability. With entrepreneurs in particular, it's thought about like, I knew what I wanted and I didn't let anything stop me from getting what I wanted. And I think that that lesson, although has value in it, sometimes is misconstrued because when you get feedback and you have experiences, it seems like oftentimes either stopping or adjusting or editing or acquiring a new skill, those are really important things along the way to greater success. So that's why it struck me because I think conventional wisdom oversimplifies things a little bit sometimes. And so can you talk to me about adaptability, why it's one of your key warrior principles? It's interesting because the adaptability was more from my experience in the military and in the fire service than entrepreneurship. But once I got into entrepreneurship, I realized it's just important there. We have yeah. a saying in the Marine Corps that no battle plan survives its first shot down range. Uh, somebody a little more eloquent, the great philosopher uh, Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, and that's pretty much what entrepreneurship is. It's the same thing as battle. Look, you got a plan. It goes without saying. I'm not a huge fan of business plans. I'm not a huge fan of that stuff because it's kind of in a vacuum. What I'm a fan of is once you get into the fight, 
how are you going to react? And that business plan gives you some things to just start thinking about. Maybe not the right choices, but at least getting you in that rhythm of, hey, we got to change. There's only one thing that can kill an entrepreneur, and that is to quit. As long as they're willing to adapt and to change with the world that we're in, that, that's the way you become unbreakable. And what I will tell you is, and then we're seeing the greatest example of this in, in our century, possibly even in the last couple centuries, is, is COVID. If you weren't adaptable and you didn't have that ability to change, you wouldn't survive. And I will tell you that the first year of COVID, we had the greatest year we ever had. And it was because of adaptability not just adaptability of our product and our portfolio, but my adaptability to recognize that even though I started the company, I needed to step aside as being the CEO because if I'd stayed on as the CEO during the pandemic, I would have been so focused on managing cash, trying to figure out what we're gonna do when we just bought this brand new office building. And two days before our opening, we got COVID and quarantine. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Instead, I had someone else that was did that, and I was able to launch a whole new product line uh, for the, the COVID product. So adaptability is absolutely critical. In the big corporate America, you've got a lot of people that can be adaptable for you. You can send it over to this team or to that team. But as an entrepreneur, you're wearing a lot of different hats, and you've got to be able to switch those hats out and be able to perform at an optimal level in all those different scenarios. Now, in your experience in, in uh, interacting, working with entrepreneurs, do you find that adaptability is a struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs where they, they just get tunnel vision and it's something that they could work on and improve? Is, is that something that is fairly common? I don't mean to make a smart ass comment about this, but the entrepreneurs that are around for a couple of years they absolutely are adaptable because the ones that aren't adaptable aren't entrepreneurs anymore. It's as All simple right. as that. You got a lot of these young kids coming right out of college and they just think they're instantly going to become the next Elon Musk and they've got a plan and they put it together and they're so rigid and they're so focused on one specific complaint, they don't make it. It's the person that's failed multiple times and keeps getting up and keeps trying to find a new way of doing it. Those are the ones that are successful. 90% of small businesses fail within 10 years. What's interesting is the numbers only 50% of them fail within five years. And what I imagine is the reason that number goes so big from that 50% to the 90% mark is because it's usually about that five-year time that you really need to do a major shakeup. And if you don't, that entrepreneur that started the company is probably going to hold the company back from having success in those later years. That makes sense. I'm not familiar with that statistic, but almost like, you know, what you needed to get through the first five years, you do have to adapt a little bit for the next phase. The company might be bigger. The market might have changed. You might have employees. You know, a one person operation is you have to draw on different skills than if you have five employees or 20 employees. So I'm not familiar with the statistic, but that that makes a ton of sense. The next of the warrior principles I wanted to touch on, again, I'm, I'm picking ones out that, that jumped out at me as a little different, is serenity. You have this book, Zach, that's the warrior entrepreneur, and some of it's based on your background. And, you know, there's a lot of toughness on this list, purpose, tenacity, grit, sacrifice. 
Then you have serenity. Seems so like think, that one is out of place, but it's not. Right. So can you talk about that? Well, there's a reason I put it last. And I put it last because I think it's the most important. I put it last because that's what I want you to remember once you finish that book. You know, when you're playing around the golf, you don't remember what you hit on two or three, but you always remember those shots on 17 or 18. There was a study done in the military where they looked at people in the service that are suffering with depression to the point of contemplating suicide. And the number was about 20%. Now, I believe that number is probably higher because a lot of those people won't self-report for a multitude of reasons. That same study was done in the entrepreneurial community and it was 71%, 70%. And the reason why is it's very lonely as an entrepreneur. You're focusing on a dream that is exceptionally difficult to achieve. In some cases, you'll never achieve your true dream, whatever that may be. It could be money, it could be growth, it could be numbers, it could be awards, whatever. And you've got such a high rate of failure and it's such a pressure cooker and the, the stresses of personnel and money, my God, I mean, it is just difficult. And I will tell you, I was in the Marine Corps infantry um, I was in a cold weather unit, so we trained a lot differently than other units did. Very difficult. I was a firefighter. I did rescue work on the fire department, which is kind of like the special operations of the fire department. I've been through some tough stuff. Nothing, and I mean nothing, has taken me to my knees like being an entrepreneur, the toughness that's required there. So where does that balance come in? Um, mindfulness. Um, I took up transcendental meditation. Now, for those of you who know me and, and Chris, the whole time we spent together, the last thing you could ever imagine of a guy like me is doing transcendental meditation. Just ain't going to happen. That saved my life. I mean, that ability to have that calmness and that peace yeah. just for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning and the evening. Your physical health. I've gained a lot of weight since I became an entrepreneur. I literally lived on an airplane for six, seven years, eating at restaurants, drinking at the sky clubs. Those are things, and that didn't give me the serenity. One of the biggest ones is sleep. If you don't get good, adequate <laughs> sleep, everything else falls apart. And I guarantee you, as an entrepreneur, you ain't going to get much sleep. So those yes. are all things that if you want to make this pot of gold and enjoy the pot of gold, you need to focus on your mental health and serenity first, or you're just simply going to blow it out. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, I'm 51 now, and I've been an entrepreneur my whole career. And uh, I think some wisdom does come with age. And I appreciate that point of view, that principle so much more now than I did years ago. And uh, I wish I adopted more mindfulness at a younger age. It would have served me incredibly well. Not necessarily just driving business forward, making more money, getting more clients, all of that stuff. I just mean in terms of peacefulness. But fortunately, I'm a little wiser than I was. And uh, it's um, it's a key principle. So I feel bad that that one was um, last, or I brought it up last when you said that that's the most important one, because it's it's an awesome one. You, um, you talk in the book about various successful entrepreneurs, you know, household names. It was uh, Disney, right? Um, Thomas Edison, more modern. You talked about Elon Musk. And I was curious in your thoughts. It seems to me for a lot of entrepreneurs that are hardworking, but maybe haven't 
read some of the literature that you and I have, where you, where you look at this stuff, it always amazes me with all these people that it's not like, hey, I'm going to start X and then they become wildly successful. Because if you think that, then you're going to be awfully hard on yourself because you're going to have setbacks, obstacles, you're going to make mistakes, things that you do where you had the best of intentions are going to blow up in your face. Uh, and when you look at the most successful people, I think one of the key things that I take away is not so much the amount of success they achieve, although that's often extremely impressive, but also pay attention to the pitfalls and the struggles that they have. And I know like Walt Disney, as an example, he had a lot of difficulties. His brother was his partner. There, there was a lot of trials and tribulations on the way to becoming a global brand and a name that people have known for a very long time. I mean, Walt Disney is just iconic, the name, but it's not like he was an instant success or was on some linear pathways, Zach, where every year was better than the year before on the way to the pinnacle of his success. So can you talk a little bit about that, the ups and downs that you noted when researching some of these successful people you talk about in your book? Boy, so that was a long-winded question. Jesus. No, it's a great wow. question. You picked out three of my absolute favorite entrepreneurial leaders, and I've got dozens upon dozens in the book, and not just the ones you've heard of, but a lot of the ones you probably haven't heard of uh, in the military and in entrepreneurship. Let, let's go through each one of those three, because you are 100% right. The common thread with all these great entrepreneurs is failure. You may say, well, what are you talking about? I mean, you could, let's go from Abraham Lincoln. How many times he lost an election over and over again? He went bankrupt. He failed as a lawyer and arguably is the best president we ever had. Disney had his first several cartoons stolen from him. There was a trademark issue. And as he was leaving New York City, and I, I'm not 100% sure I got this correct, but close enough. He was so depressed because he lost his trademark issue and he wanted to write something to make him cheered up. So he drew these three circles and turned them into a mouse. And the rest is pretty much history after that. Thomas Edison got interviewed by a reporter and said, what's it feel like to have a hundred uh, inventions fail? And he goes, I didn't have a hundred fail. I had a hundred that showed me what not to do and got me closer to inventing the light bulb. Elon Musk almost, uh, well, he's been bankrupt several times from what I understand. And he's had several business failures, one of which when he started PayPal, he was going head to head against other companies. And it got to the point where they were both chewing each other up and they ended up having, and they were arch enemies. They ended up meeting at this famous coffee shop in Silicon Valley and decided to team up. And that's what PayPal happened. So it's this common thread of um, number one, iron sharpens iron. It develops you that rhino skin. It gets you prepared. And what I really try to get across in the book is this warrior attitude. And that is adversity, challenge, and difficulty will make the warrior stronger. For the non-warrior, it's going to make you weaker. It's going to cause you to, to fail. And for the warrior, they're going to lean into that. Growing up with the amount of... Um, learning disabilities that I had. I went to six or seven different schools growing up and every one of the teachers and the people would tell me, you're not going to make a, amount to anything. You're going to be a failure. You're not going to do well. And, you know, that's some deep seated stuff to go through as a young kid. That's the stuff you end up in therapy for, for the rest of your life, because what happened when you were a kid, 
It was the opposite for me. That motivated me. I'm like, oh, you think I'm going to be a failure? I'm going to show you wrong. I'm going to prove this. And it was that constant of me almost getting beat down that made me so strong versus what I am very scared of now. And that is this coddling of our youth and the participation trophies and the safe spaces because they're not given the chance to fail. They're not given the chance to have that hardship and to be able to learn and grow from that. Wow. That was a great answer. And, and like that last part, like I would love to have you want to do a whole nother show about that, although it has really very little to do with the simply financial kind of core uh, discussion topics, because um, to add on to what you said, I, I think even just talking directly, it's okay if someone says you, you messed up or you need to do better or you need to rethink that. That's, that's okay. It's not bad. It, you don't need to crumple up and go in the fetal position. If you get some tough, direct criticism, if it's accurate, if you buy into the idea that everybody is so fragile or you create people that are fragile, it's going to have negative consequences. So uh, we probably should leave it there because I imagine you and I could go like way longer on just that subject. For listeners that want to get more information about you, and to find your great book. Um, could you share with uh, everyone about that, please? Certainly. So uh, obviously amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles, Kobo, they all have it. Uh, you can also buy it directly from me on my website, which is warriorentrepreneurbook.com. And if you purchase it from me, um, I'm more than happy to go ahead and sign and dedicate it for you. Um, also can offer bulk discounts if you go directly through the website there. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Zach. I really enjoyed the discussion. I was really looking forward to this um, interview and it was everything I hoped for. Uh, listeners, thanks for joining Zach and I on today's episode. I'll be back with you on the next episode of the Simply Financial podcast very soon. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial.